Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Ben Schumann Solar. What's up, Caitlin? What's up, Ben? I'm great. It is sunny out. I woke up in a good mood. I don't know why, but I'm not going to question it too much. It feels good. And we got, <laughs> and what else makes you happy? Bob Glazer makes you happy. Bob Glazer does make me You've happy. You've become a huge Bob Glazer convert, our guest today. I That's have. why we're talking about him. Bob Glazer, if you're listening, I'm sold. All right. So the thing about Bob Glazer is, and we're going to talk about um, his new book, which is called Elevate Your Team. 2023. So I would say, and this is a really huge recommendation coming from me. You'll also hear me tell Bob I loved his book, but business books are kind of whatever. You and I have read a lot of them working at Blinkist. And then you get some that really, really stand out. And to me, this one really stands out because it's like he's taken every single good business book from the last, I don't know, decade or so, as long as we've been working at Blinkist. And he's used those all of those really good insights and made a compendium for being an amazing leader. I would say that's what this book is. It is the best parts of all the books that you should be reading. And if you're only going to read one, grab this one. Go for it. It's excellent. And it's I think it's like really good, clear, advanced leadership strategies that will really help anybody who is leading a team develop the people around them. And I, I think also if you are just leading yourself, this is also a great book to read. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that is some serious praise. <laughs> this is a great book. And we're, we were really excited to have Bob Glazer. And you had a really good chat with him. I did. And, and we, hear, we heard already, I think, why you wanted to have him on. But what's one thing that people should look out for before we roll the tape of your talk? Uh, I think that this is a really incredible book for the moment. We've heard uh, since the pandemic, we've heard about quiet quitting. We've heard about people really wanting to remake the way that they do work and they do their careers. And I keep thinking of, of Brene Brown being like, people are not OK. Yeah. They're not OK. People are not OK. <laughs> yeah. And Bob Glazer was like, all right, that's true. How do we help them be OK? Yeah. And this is really a human first leadership book. So it's building the four human capacities, which you'll hear about. They're physical, intellectual, emotional and spiritual, building all these capacities in order to elevate your team and just do better business because you have these sort of advanced teammates. Right. And then stay tuned after the interview. We will do what we do, uh, the bookend. We'll recommend a couple books, pull out some of the key points of Caitlin's talk with Bob Glazer. And then we're also, in order to help you dive even deeper, we're building out a thing, kind of like a premium version of Simplify. Um, if you have the Blinkist app, we made a special guide out of this episode. Guide is this format in the Blinkist app where we go deeper onto specific topics. And it's really worked for Blinkist users. So we thought, why not just do it for Simplify listeners as well? You can use the voucher code, which we will tell you after the interview. You can use the voucher code to try Blinkist for free or download it and get the premium uh, access, then search for Simplify and you will find the guide. And in there, we will put some stuff we had to cut out of the interview, some extra audio, some tools to dive deeper, more recommendations with which we heard from you all in the survey that you love, and you'll get more Caitlin. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is like win, 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 win. So let's roll the tape of the interview. And if you love this, which I think you will, you can get more in the Blinkist app by looking for the Simplify guide. All right, let's do it. All right, let's roll it. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. 
Could you please introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced? Sure. My name's uh, Bob Glazer, and I am the founder and chairman of the board of Acceleration Partners, which is a company I started about 15 years ago. Uh, I am also an author and speaker, uh, and I've taken a lot of what I've learned about growing an organization globally over those 15 years and, and write about it and talk about it to leadership audiences around the world. Excellent. And you have freshly released a new book, which is called Elevate Your Team. And I had the pleasure of reading in the past couple of days. I was saying to you before that I don't often get to say, wow, that was a really good business book. I'm so sorry to all the business book writers out there, but this is a really, really good one. I love that this book is kind of a a manifesto, a corrective against the Silicon Valley burn and churn method. And there's a lot of lip service to, to the idea of you know, not just building business, but building people, but not a whole lot of follow through. And you really prize that follow through in this book. And I'd, I'd love to start us out by hearing you share a bit about why it matters so much to you, enough that you wrote a book about it, and why it's so important to build the capacity of your team members. Yeah, so after, um, you know, two to three years of, of a pandemic now, I think that the the collective resolve of people has changed. We have a lot of people that are tired and I think what they're looking for from, and, and we have two things going on. They're tired after the pandemic and the easy credit bubble has, has sort of burst, which has put an end to the sort of grow at all top lines and that's how you uh, create success. And I think those factors have converged to where we are today, where most companies I see are playing defense actually, not not offense. And eventually companies will get back to offense, but uh, it doesn't seem like that's happening right now. But I believe that companies have to grow. So the, the question is, how do, how do we grow in a different way? As we said, Elon Musk has been super successful growing multiple companies. Um, but, you know, this, the Twitter situation has been very different. And I think he, you know, he said to employees, hey, we're going to work super hard or intense or whatever his word right if you don't like it leave and a quarter of the company quit the next day so i think we're in this just really interesting time where again people aren't growing because they're a little scared companies need to grow people need to grow we're going to get back to that but we got to get back to where growth is not kind of a dirty word and i think a lot of people right now associate growth with overwork and exhaustion so can you talk about what you mean when you say building capacity, I feel like it would be great to have kind of a definition of that. I know there are four parts, but just give it as much or as little of a definition as you'd like now, and then we'll dive into it. So capacity building is is the method by which individuals seek, acquire, and develop the skills and ability to perform at a higher level in pursuit of their innate potential. More simply, I think it's how you get better. And, and, And there's four interrelated pieces to that. There's spiritual capacity, which is not religious. This is about understanding who you are, what you want most, the standards you want to live by. For most of us, that's our core values. Intellectual capacity is how you learn, is how you improve your ability to learn, plan, execute with discipline. Like to me, this is your personal operating system. Like how do, how do you make the software run better and do a task more efficiently and with less energy? Physical capacity is your health, well-being, and physical performance. And emotional capacity is how you react to challenging situations, your emotional mindset, and the quality of your relationships. And they, picture them as sort of four interrelated four quadrants of a ball. As they each grow, the ball grows in mass. It grows equally. It sort of rolls faster down the hill, has more momentum. One of those things is out of whack, and they always are. It's going to get a little wobbly. 
that's sort of how I defined them individually and elevate. You know, what the difference in this book is, is, and people have asked me again, what's the difference between the two? Elevate was really about the individual or the leader. This was how do you take that same framework or same principles and embed them in the culture of the organization? So how do you create, you know, in spiritual capacity, how do you create an organization where people are learning about their own values and what they're good at and where, what they should do and what they shouldn't do? Intellectual, how are they just, how are they getting better? How do you develop a culture of learning and feedback? And, and so people are constantly improving within the organization. Physical, how do you give them the space? And, and, and a lot of companies are ruining people's mental health, but leaders, I should say, more than a company. I don't like blaming things on companies where we are all people in these organizations. Um, but, but again, how, how do you, how do you give people the space to rest and recharge and, and come back to work and, and focus on them living a, a healthy life? Again, if they're sleeping three hours a night and, and, and being really unhealthy, it's not like they're going to show up to work with a lot of energy. And then emotional in the organizational context, I think a lot is psychological safety, which is just key. How do you embed that in the organization and team? How do you get people in the organization to focus on relationships and communication and on the things that they control, not a lot of the factors outside the organization. Beautiful. Very, very complete definitions there. Thank you. But I obviously want to dive deeper into all of them. Uh, You are what I think of when I think of Bob Glazer, I think, oh, he's the core values guy. And (laughs) one of the reasons for that is that you have a whole course on core values on your website, which I've done. It's so, so useful. And you, you talk about how the cornerstone of spiritual capacity are these core values. And can you tell me why they matter in a business context so much? And, and what happens when there's a core value misalignment? So they matter because I think if you're going to build leaders in your organization and you want people to develop, they will develop authentically from their values. And if Jim Collins you know, talks about sort of a level five leader as sort of the epitome of leader, you cannot be an inauthentic level five leader. Like a level five leader is incredibly self-aware. They make everyone else better. So I think people lead differently. And these core values are deep. I've done this work a lot with our teams and, and the same work that went into the course. And they tend to run into formative lifetime and childhood events. And they're things that we've carried with us. And they're, they're kind of driving our management or leadership style, whether we realize it or not. Uh, I can give you an example of this. So, you know, in doing this work with a couple of people and coming to, you know, realize they have a core value of trust, that person usually, and I'll ask them, that trust core value came because of a violation of trust earlier in their life. So they are someone who has a small group of friends and people they trust. It's a lot of work to get into their circle. It's easy to get kicked out forever. And, And so as a leader, if someone on their team is five minutes late, uh, to a meeting, if they miss a deadline, if they're calling them at four o'clock in the afternoon, they work from home and they can't find them on a work day, it actually just signals like deep, like this is someone who can't be trusted. And those leaders were putting people into a penalty box. And so when they actually had that awareness, they would go to their teams and they would say, Hey, I'm someone who trust is really important. Like you want me in your corner. I trust you. But like, honestly, once trust is broken, it's really hard to get it back. And here are the things for me that could break trust. So the leaders kind of being authentic and, and they're giving a playbook. So I, I think if you want to develop people, core values are the ultimate decision-making rubric for them. And a lot of people just take a lot of best practices from other leaders, but they're not them. So if you're trying to strip a leader down to their core and build them up, I think for everyone to me, and I talk about the big three, your chosen vocation, the place you work, your partner and your community and where you live, if you don't have core value alignment, it's just probably not going to work. So I think that's the foundation for each person. There's no right or wrong answer. 
obviously if they're personal, if organizations are doing it right, people's personal core values would, would align to the organizational values. It's not a straight line, but there should be some dotted lines of things where the organization believes in things that, that you believe in. That doesn't always mean you might realize, oh, like actually the core values of the organization are very different than my own. And so I'm going to struggle. Like, for instance, we are, we are an agency. Um, we're in a fast moving, uh, business digital agency, and we have a core value of sort of own it and own. It means that we also have embraced relationships. We don't want people to be lone wolf, but people who are super comfortable moving forward, making decisions, want that autonomy. Some people don't like that autonomy. Some people want group decision-making on everything. They want consensus. Like, Honestly, you'll really struggle in our environment. There are probably a ton of organizations for whom that is a really strong quality. Like if someone's manning a nuclear station, right, you want people to go really slow uh, and you want consensus on everything and you want to triple check. In a digital marketing agency, that's not the DNA and that's not what clients want. It'll, the game will be over tomorrow if, if, if you don't make a decision. Um, so I think people need to be a little conscious of of their alignment with the organization and then with their leader. Like if you have a leader and you conflict on two, three core values, it's going to be really tough. <laughs> um, now your core values, if they're both aligned with the organization, again, there should be some overlap and it's not that everyone has to match up or be the same, but if you and I are in conflict on multiple values and we work together every day, it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a little bit like like kryptonite. It makes sense that if you conflict on two or three really important core values, then it's just not going to work out. I've been in that situation before and it's it's really hard. And it's not that any one person is right or wrong. It's just you don't work together. As you said, right. it's the same with, with relational partners, too. You just got to make sure that there's alignment there. You, you see the world differently when you come to the most important things, you have a different orientation. And again, let me be clear. This is not that people are the same or carbon copies. My wife and I have very different interests and hobbies and things. But like when it comes to the big things around our family or our kids, like we're very aligned. If we weren't aligned on those things, it would be very hard. Yep. Totally makes sense. Absolutely. I, the core values portion is my, my favorite part, <laughs> but I saying that I'm actually not sure that's true. It was the, the part that I was most excited about to read first, but then I started reading through intellectual capacity, which is what I'd, I'd like to move us on to because I'd love to touch on all four of these capacities today. Um, and I, I think that your metaphor of seeing intellectual capacity as a person's individual operating system is really, really useful. Um, you say it's how you process and respond to new information, how you organize and prioritize, and whether you have the right knowledge and habits to reach your goals. And I'd say, what are what are key behaviors in an organization that would tell you that that reveal high intellectual capacity in a team? I think you would just see a culture of learning and experimentation and trying things and feedback and not repeating mistakes. <laughs> I think, you know, great leaders that I've seen are actually fine with mistakes as long as they are learning tools to not do them. Mm. They get absolutely, you know, frustrated when people repeat mistakes because there's no greater sign of an organization not learning and getting better than doing the same thing twice. Uh, that's wrong. And, you know, there's a famous example that's talked about a lot uh, with Ray Dalio in his book Principles talks about at Bridgewater, which is a big hedge fund. Um, they have a mistake log. And when you make a big mistake, uh, you, you know, it's not a fireable offense. Failing to put it in the mistake log and telling other people how they can learn from that mistake 
is a fireable offense. Um, and, and I think that's a really interesting, you know, perspective, uh, and really shows kind of what the organization and the, and the leaders value. Um, a big part of this is feedback. Everyone needs feedback, but a lot of organizations, they, they, they don't know how to give it and they don't know how to receive it. And so it's just done really poorly. Again, in a healthy feedback culture, you're, you're, you're debating and you need psychological safety to that. And we'll get to that in emotional capacity, but you know, you're debating, you're discussing, you're, you're, you're giving people the information they need in real time to, to improve and make a better choice or decision tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I want to say for everybody listening in this book, there are so many great templates for feedback. I um, I shared them with my team yesterday. <laughs> uh, you share, share the template or the I, actual, I shared, or you I, tested it out. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't share any, any any feedback yesterday, but I shared there there are a couple phrases, and I I really liked what I'm about to say may not be easy to hear, but it's important. And I, I loved that and I, because it dignifies both the person receiving the feedback and the feedback and the feedback giver, it's, which is also really important. And it totally avoids, and I, you know, I talked about this probably on time, this difficult conversations exercise in the book that we go into. It's interesting. I've had organizations reach out and ask if I could now run it at their, at their organization. I didn't, I didn't think that that was going to happen, but there's a, something called the, the shit sandwich. Um, and we can edit that out if you, you know, you need to do that, but where someone starts with, they need to have a tough conversation and they start with a compliment and how are you and pleasantries and then they try to sneak in the really important thing in the middle and then they end with that and the person's so confused and they don't get the message and and having actually watched these exercises for years and how poorly this dancing around it went the last time i had one of those conversations i started it that way you know and i because i want and I, I was like look this is not going to be a fun conversation but we're going to have it and then we'll talk afterwards and it just it sets the right tone, like it's it's the right level of authenticity. People now realize, like they're listening, like oh, this is an important message. Not that it's buried in some half-hearted compliments and pleasantries. Yeah, which is a thing that I loved actually. When I shared this with two of my my teammates yesterday, they're people I've worked with for nine years now at Blinkist, and I, I said I really wish I'd had these phrases when I was a new leader in 2018, because I remember having an experience with someone who eventually had to be let go. I'd given him a lot of feedback about things that weren't going right, but I think that I it was so soft, and um, I think I could have done a much better job at at helping him understand what needed to change. And I, I wish I'd had these phrases then. Uh, me too. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of this book is is I would call learnings through failure and pain. Uh, that could have been the that could have been the subtitle. Right. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, so what's I think maybe we've actually. I'm, I'm going to be interested to hear what you say to this because it seems like we might have already answered it. But what would you tell people who are in leadership positions if they could just do only one thing to start building their team's intellectual capacity? What would that what would that one thing be? What was what's the top line for it, you think? Yeah, I, I think the top line would be to really maybe focus on either learning or feedback. I think if you can get a team that is that is giving each other feedback and in a positive way and in a constructive way, um, and and just that to me is a subset of opening a culture of learning. And look, one of the things I talk about in the book on learning is whether it's a book club or a podcast club. Like podcast clubs are almost easier um, with you know th these days because people don't have to pick up a three hour book. They can you know they could read a blink uh, and say, look, we're going to talk about this or we're going to talk about this issue and come to it, and you can. 
you know, you can be running, you can be at home, you can be be doing whatever. So I I think people just feel a team where there's there's safety and people are trying to get better and they're learning and they're doing it together. Yeah, totally. I like the idea of a podcast club too. I think that's, it's a much easier ask than a 300 page book, as you said. So at the risk of going too fast here, as I said, I really want to get to all the capacities. But um, the third one is physical capacity, which I I really like that you addressed, and I think it relates to something we were talking about earlier, Um, this idea that people don't want to work hard and for a million hours anymore. They really just don't. Post-pandemic work life is very, very different. We're in remote setups. We've learned to, um, I think because we all had to slow down and look inward and listen, we've realized that our bodies need stuff and that we have, there are better ways of working than what we were doing before. I love that you say that a leader sets the tone for the entire company and an executive's work style or schedule is often seen as the benchmark. I think that's that's great. And you say that employers don't want people who work smarter or they want people who work smarter and not longer, which is so against the American ethos that I remember from my very first couple of working years. I've lived in Europe for a long time now, but I'd love I'd love to hear you talk about why an employer would want an employee who works smarter and not harder and what that might look like. Yeah, I, look, I have a case study in the book, sort of an anti-case study of Marissa Meyer that I don't think is talked about enough, who ke- who came in at Yahoo with just a, you know, bragging about 100-hour work weeks, 130-hour work weeks. I know, I know the European um, <laughs> counterparts would cringe at that. Look, in in America, I'll own this. I think for years we've kind of poked fun at, at the European model and, oh, you know, six weeks of vacation. I mean, how, how do you have a startup or how do you do that? And 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 look, I think there's some things in between on this. But after the pandemic, I think people are really thinking about this. People are are physical, physically and mentally uh, burned out. And I think we're seeing that, look, a lot of these companies that were grow, grow, growing and 100 miles an hour, they weren't making money. They didn't have sustainable business models. As soon as that got pulled out, there's no business there. So I always tell our new employees when I do the onboarding, hey, good news, bad news. We do not reward working hard. We reward working smart. I don't want you to go spend 14 hours on something that if you had asked the right question, you, you could have spent uh, an hour on it. So... That is, uh, you know, I think that's a hard thing for people to get their head around. The 80-20 rule is just something that you can't get around in terms of that only 20% of our inputs drive 80% of our outcomes. So in these companies where it's sort of everything's a priority, it's hustle, hustle, work, work, I, I don't actually think they're getting better outcomes. So I think you're exhausting people and you're not getting better outcomes. And people need really to relax and refresh. And with all the work from home, they need some boundaries. And as you said, the leader sets the tone, and and I and I found you know Marissa Meyer struggled with this again. She came back to work two days after she had a two weeks after she had a baby. She built a nursery in the office, and she kind of said to all the women at Yahoo, like, "I don't expect you to do this, but like I'm going to do this." And I and I, I I just don't think that lands really well. Um, I have never found as a leader, as a parent, that do as I say, not as I do, is is effective. So you know the leader sets the tone and. There's a great example I shared at a conference last week, and they were laughing hysterically. Unfortunately, I found it after I wrote the book. But just think about like a leader going on vacation, right? And if I if I set an auto out of office that says, "Hey, everyone, I'm, I'm out of office on vacation with my family this week," but you call me, reach me, text me, Slack me, you know, if you have any questions or any client problems or anything, like reach out to me. That makes a clear tone to the organization of how I view vacation versus saying, hey, I'm away with my family this week and, um, you know, 
unless it's really urgent, you know, please don't reach out. I, I value this time. I, that, that's a really important message. In fact, I saw a leader, the example I used was he wrote this and he said, I'm with my, you know, if it's really an urgent, you can text my wife and she'll reach out to me. Or you can email me at interruptmyvacation uh, at firstround.com. And I just thought it was so great because here's someone who's really like saying like, look, there's not going to be a crisis. You can all handle it. Uh, and, and, and other people are going to look at their vacations through that same lens. So similarly, uh, I talk about this in the book, but a tactic I developed years ago, I realized that people who, who are, and I don't mean this like pejoratively, but people on the org chart who sit below you, you know, they feel a need to respond to you. If you're the CEO or an executive leader and you send an email on a Saturday or night, they, they're going to feel a need to respond. So I, I years ago started using, to, I, like to, I like to clean out my email on Saturday mornings and then I'm getting all these replies and I'm like, I didn't need you to reply. I just had time on Saturday mornings when my kid, little kids were asleep um, to get through my email. So I just use delayed delivery. And I, if I write something that is really not urgent to someone outside of office hours, I always set it to send at eight o'clock the next workday. The bonus of this is, you know, at eight o'clock on a Monday morning, you can look like a hero while you're, while you're sound asleep <laughs> <Yeah>. in bed. <laughs> and who doesn't love looking like a hero? But if only few, if only fewer people love looking like a hero, I think the world might be a little bit of a chiller place. Um, one of the things that I love about working for a European company and had to really get used to is that when people are on vacation, they're really, really on vacation. You know, we've incentivized people and we give them, you know, part of their wellness stipend if they don't talk to anyone at work over vacation. And, and that actually has a couple benefits of letting them actually do something, and, but, but also force them to develop processes around that. Yes, exactly. You want it to be so that if you, you know, if you dropped off a face of the earth tomorrow, things could still go on, which is not to say that people are not valuable and, you know, interchangeable, but don't make yourself a bottleneck. Absolutely. So, it sounds like one of the best things that leaders can do in their organization if they want to help their reports or if they want to help everybody in their organization build more physical capacity is to themselves rest at the right times, block off time for mental health, make sure they actually go to lunch, yeah. um, talk about their habits. It, it, so there's a lot of modeling. Is there anything else that you suggest to leaders and, and organizations to do to help their, their teams build the physical capacity? Yeah, look, it's not... It's not your job as an organization to this is the, the the state to tell people how to exercise or how to eat or how to sleep, but you can give them the space to do that. You can give them the best practices. The other huge thing I think an organization can do is get focused on outcomes. Stop measuring people's inputs or hours as a metric of success because people can work really hard but not on the right thing. So I think as an organization, if you start to shift to outcomes, measure outcomes, list outcomes. Um, and get people oriented around that, you're saying, look, I don't, I need you to get the right things done and to be accountable to that. It's not, I don't need you to be in your chair. I don't need you to be performative, you know, with your hours. Like this is what's matters. And again, that's a thing that should be better for the company and should be better for the individual. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're moving toward the end of our time here. And I, I always like to ask, um, this one kind of summation question and it's, it's this, it's, if you could, Tell everybody listening one fundamental thing about capacity building in a team. What would you want them to know? What do you view as the most important thing? Yeah, I, I'll take two if that's okay. But but they're they're congruent. So I, these things to me do go in order. 
in terms of, I think that spiritual capacity is the foundation from which you build the other ones. So I think there is an order. And I think if you can spend some time on the value and strength stuff, that to me is often gets people kind of on the right path. I think the other sort of tip is that don't go try to do all of this stuff <laughs> tomorrow. I, I find that people who kind of get overwhelmed with this sort of message or then overwhelm other people. It, it is much better to pick one or two things and just say, I'm going to go do these, feel the positive flywheel of that, and then do some more things. I usually bet on the people who start making 1% improvements rather than go and say, I'm going to change everything overnight. To me, that's a little bit like the full gym lots at the beginning of the year, every new year. And then in two to three weeks, there, there are no cars in those lots. <laughs> I love that metaphor. God, I hate those people. For the first two to three weeks of January, you can't park right. You can't you can't park anywhere. Like you know, I used to have work in a place that had a gym in the lot, and in the beginning of January, I couldn't park my car anywhere, and then they're all gone by February first. Welcome to the bookend, where we end with books. Indeed, sweet. Welcome back, that Bob was... Glazer, everybody. Bob Glazer. I think they're gonna get why we like him. Mm-hmm. Clarity helpfulness, mm-hmm. real life, none of this like highfalutin pie in the sky, yeah. too theoretical stuff, like yeah. tried and tested sort of real life work stuff. Indeed. And what I want to say, you're I know you're going to ask me, Caitlin, what really stood Caitlin, out Caitlin, what really stood out? Or what do you, what do you remember? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what I want to say is related, the great thing about Bob Glazer books is that, and his, his courses, is that they're extremely practical. There are this book is full of like actual activities and templates that you that you can use questions you can ask yourself and people around you. And one of the things that I really loved, which you probably heard me actively loving loudly in the interview was um, the part about feedback. And I really like this phrase. What I'm about to say may not be easy to hear, but it's important. And it's a really nice way, as I I said in the interview, to to ground to ground feedback so that both you and the person that you're talking to are taking it seriously, but it also doesn't feel scary and it doesn't feel personal. It feels like, hey, there's something that we have to work on together. And I, I really like that. It's so hard to give critical feedback or constructive feedback, as we like to say. And um, Bob Glazer makes it easier in this book and with his his guidance. I really wish I'd had this book years ago. Really? I wish that it had these templates. Yeah. It's It's really... I don't know. It's just it's so hard to 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 do this, to give to give constructive feedback. And I I don't know, it made it a lot less scary for me. So I wish I had that. What I also really liked was this idea It stuck out to me when I listened back to the interview, but not in the moment. But he says, essentially, when we're talking about core values, that values come from violations. The things that you really value often, if you look back, are things that have been violated or messed up for you in the past. So if you're a person who values trust very highly, then there's probably been a really important point or two in your life at which trust was broken. If you're a person who values authenticity highly, you've probably had to fight in order to have that space for yourself or to delineate yourself against others. Um, And I think that's just a really neat insight into human psychology. What did you like about it, Ben? What did you take away? I mean, you've read so many of these books and you've been leading and managing for years now. What, What was fresh for you? I mean, the four types of capacity are interesting. Um, you know, we can recap them. Spiritual, which is like the core values thing. It's mm-hmm. not like, which God do you believe in? <laughs> Intellectual, how you learn. Physical, health, well-being, performance. Emotional, how you react. 
there's a lot in there I think is interesting. It's a good, I think that's a good model. Obviously the core values, we have a pretty cool tool from one of his guides in the app that we all did in the team that was really helpful. I mean, really, I think you two talked a lot about the impact of the pandemic perspective kind of on life. He says, Mm -hmm. you know, Elon Musk said at Twitter, we're going to, you know, work hard. Anyone who doesn't like it can leave. And then they did, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of funny. And I think that's the thing, like work smart, not hard is maybe what I want to take away. And working smart is not easy. Mm. Uh, Sometimes it's easier to just bash your head against something Mm. instead of taking a second to reflect Mm. and do it smarter. And that pause that that's really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I take away is work smart, not hard. And I think that's something like everybody should be thinking about now. Mm. There's so many challenges out there now and doing things just the way you do them just because it's how you did it. But harder or faster is not is it reminds me a little bit of Albert Pujols, this like famous baseball player, one of the best hitters of all time. Someone asked him, like, when you face a 100 mile per hour fastball, how do you prepare for that? Like, how do you swing harder? You know what I mean? And he was mm. like, you don't swing harder. Like, you swing better. You swing quicker. Mm. Yeah. It's like a quickness. It's not a, like, you te- You have the technique, and you can't just go out there and be like, I'm going to crush this every time. Like, if it's so fast, you can't try and crush it. You'll slow down, actually. Mm. Um, I think about, like, how do I swing quicker, swing better, like, with more agility, with mm-hmm. more technique, you know, and yeah. rely on that. And I think that's what Bob Glazer is referring to with that. Yeah, with building this like full stack of capacities that will help you do exactly. all of these things. Yeah. So you have you have the skills and you have the self-knowledge that it takes in order to react in the most effective way. Yeah. It makes me think about the seven habits of highly effective people, that part about sharpening the saw. Right. How, you know, you got to if you really want to be able to cut a lot of wood, you have to like take some time out and sharpen the saw. Yeah. I think about sharpening the saw a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, a good, it's been a hard lesson for me. It's, a good, it's important. I mean, yeah. it's also like dangerous not to. It can jump and, you know. Yeah, whack off your leg. And then like. Yeah, well, then you don't have a leg. <laughs> How are you going to get to the forest? Now there's like a lot of stuff. <laughs> and it's all because you didn't listen to Bob Glazer tell you. Absolutely. Work smarter, not harder. Right. But there are other people you should listen to. Oh, we can do books? Let's, we're going to do books. All right, let's do so books. let's do the book end. You want to go first or second? Yeah, I'll go first. So I have one book. And it is actually from an earlier, the the author of an earlier episode of Simplify. It is called Making Great Relationships. It is by Rick Hansen. So we had Rick and Forrest Hansen on their amazing podcast, Being Well, is one of my favorites. And this book is great. And I know that it doesn't sound totally natural to put a relationship book here, but it actually fits perfectly in with this, the capacity of emotional capacity. One of the things that that he talks about in this book is really important for any relationship you are in. And I also want to note this book is not limited to romantic relationships, which is what a lot of people think about when they hear the word relationship. It is with friends, with colleagues, with, you know, the lady at the grocery store. Um, He has a whole section on anger and what is and and three questions you can ask yourself about the anger you're experiencing. I'm just going to read you one of them. Actually, I pulled up the blink. What is my anger trying to hide? Often we lean into anger because we don't want to face the other more vulnerable feelings of hurt, jealousy, or regret underpinning it. But if we can't work through these underlying feelings, our anger will never fully resolve. So yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. And a key point of building your emotional capacity is understanding your emotional reactions in the moment. And understanding anger can be really, really useful. It's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and working on. So yeah. Yeah, it's cool. And the hands, I mean, we talked about the hands already, but this analysis, like the self-awareness that they their their system is all about, sort of the 
take a minute to see it, reflect on it, try and change it if you can or improve it, you know? Also, like, this reflection step seems seems very important as everything is speeding up. Um, and that's actually the anecdote I want to share from my book is that I want to recommend is related to that also. So I wanted to recommend a Michael Hyatt book because Michael Hyatt's written a bunch of books. Like Bob Glazer, he's got a really clear structure in all of his books. Um, he also has a really cool, like, goal setting and living your best life sort of structure that he uses. We published a shortened version of his podcast with Eric Fisher, Beyond the To-Do List, which is in the Blinkist app. That's where he walks through that. You can find it if you look for Beyond the To-Do List in the app. But the book that I wanted to recommend is called Win at Work and Succeed at Life by Michael Hyatt um, and actually his daughter, Megan Hyatt Miller. And so they have this bit in there about standing still. And this is like the thing, right? So taking this moment to pause to reflect. So the story is that I guess it's 1990. A, a young woman is waiting for a train between Manchester and London. The train is delayed for four hours. She has nothing to do. She has no pen. She's just stuck on the train station. And in that time, she's just like letting her mind wander. And do you know who that person was? J.K. Rowling. And her mind wandered and like already had – that's where she like came up with some of the first plot points of the Harry Potter series. So this idea of like stop and let the brain go a little bit, I think it's a cool thing. But there's other tips in there about, you know, but you and Bob Glazer talked about overwork and work-life balance and stuff. And there's a lot of that in this book also. So I definitely recommend for people who like Bob Glazer to check out Michael Hyatt in general, his whole body of work. Cool. Great. Sweet. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. So... I guess that's it. Remember, there is a Simplify Guide in the Blinkist app. I really think you'll want this one. The um, the extras that we cut out of, like, I guess I'll say it again. We usually talk to, or I usually talk to, an author for an hour when we do these interviews. You only ever hear about 25 minutes of that footage or that audio on the podcast. There's so much more good stuff in there. If you want the sort of simplify premium experience, just go to Blinkist.com slash friends, enter the voucher code BUILD. You're going to sign up on the web, um, and that is going to give you your brand new shiny Blinkist account where you can find this guide. You can listen to all the extra Bob Glazer audio. You'll hear me and Ben. You'll hear some more book recommendations and some tools that you can take away and use to elevate your team and yourself. Yep. Go check it out. Build. Okay. Simplify is produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann-Stoller, Phoebe McIndoo, uh, our wonderful audio team consisting of an assortment of Audi Constantinos, Luisa Carvalhos, and Michi Vist. And uh, yeah, it was made here at Blinkist in Berlin, Germany. All right. Sweet. Bye. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) 